Eight people sit on death row in Idaho right now, and currently moving through the court system are Lori Vallow, Chad Daybell, and Brian Koberger. That death row headcount could go up by three if they're found guilty of their respective crimes. Which got us thinking, who was the last person the state of Idaho executed, and what did he do to deserve the ultimate punishment? Let's recap. I'm Chris, and this is True Crime Recaps, the only channel bringing you all the crime in half the time. So if you have a work project or just, you know, any responsibility you need to procrastinate just a little bit longer, then this should fill that time in perfectly. Also, it would mean a lot to us if you took a second to give this a like and remember to subscribe so you never miss a recap. Now, let's go back to July 21st, 1984. It's a sunny Saturday in the potato capital of the world, Blackfoot, Idaho, a day Officer Dennis Hall wishes he could forget. When he arrives at Danette Elge's house, he thinks he'll find the place empty. Her worried friends called him there for a welfare check, but at 31, she could have easily taken off for any number of reasons. The smell hits him when he forces his way in the door. Danette's naked body is covered in blood on her slashed, deflated waterbed. The sun beats down on her, hurrying along the decomposition. She's been there for days. Water soaks the floor. Blood covers the walls and some clothes. She's been stabbed 15 times. Bizarrely, the killer took the time to carve out her sex organs and anus. Blood samples and evidence are collected. An investigation is launched. But where do they start? Who would want to hurt someone as friendly and likable as Nettie? Police records describe her as carefree, adventurous, and to some degree, a restless person. She liked to keep busy. When she wasn't working at the Idaho National Laboratory, where they did nuclear research, she was renovating houses and even cleaning chimneys. If she wasn't working with her hands, she was skiing, camping, or hiking. She was strong and independent. No way did she go down without a fight. She was already on high alert after an attempted break-in. On July 18th, three days earlier, she called police to report an attempted break-in. She thought it might have been someone she knew, a guy named Rick Levitt. She knew him through mutual friends. The local police knew him as a suspect in at least three sexual assault cases. He was still out and about because, according to the Idaho statesman, he threatened the women so they wouldn't take it any further. He had a mean streak, not just to women, but also to animals. When cows were shot dead with a bow and arrow and cats and dogs were found strangled, it was Rick's name that came up first. When they went looking for him after Danette's report, he was nowhere to be found. And just days later, he would find them. See, Danette lived alone. A week before her death, she and her live-in girlfriend had gotten into an argument and Danette kicked her out. Without a steady someone around to find her body quickly, she lay there undiscovered. Meanwhile, her killer was getting impatient. Desperate for the story to break, Rick started making some calls. 16 years into the future, he could have Googled it, but for now, he figures his friend, a former ambulance driver, will know the answer to his most pressing question. How long does it take a body to smell? For the record, Google says it takes 4 to 10 days, but he couldn't wait that long. Between July 19th and the 21st, Blackfoot police got a series of disturbing calls. Two were from a Mike Jenkins. It didn't take them long to learn there was no one by that name living in the small town. But whoever this Mike person was, he seemed to know more than he should about a gruesome crime scene. 
It's been said that Rick had a unique talent for disguising his voice, even fooling his wife. If the mysterious Mike Jenkins was meant to be the fall guy, Rick cast himself as the hero. And you won't believe what he did next. He was the first to report her missing. Then he convinced police to do a welfare check, which is why four days after the murder on July 21st, he was back at her house with Officer Hall and a few friends. But at the last minute, he refused to go inside. Police weren't fooled by his sudden shyness. They were sure he was their guy. They just had to prove it. For the next five months, investigators built their case piece by piece. Rick was arrested in early December, insisting he didn't do it. While behind bars, jailers intercepted a letter from him to his wife detailing a story he wanted her to memorize and repeat as her testimony at trial. She refused. Instead, she answered the question that had the court puzzled. Could he have mutilated Danette's body? It wasn't a quick and easy thing to do. Experts thought he would have had to have some knowledge of female anatomy. It was a strange aspect of his crime. But Rick's wife told the jury Rick could do it. He'd done it before. Well, sort of. She caught him removing and fondling a female deer's sex organs during a hunting trip. But the biggest piece of evidence against him was his own blood. A few nights before Danette was found, Rick turned up at the emergency room. His hand was cut and bleeding badly, but he had an explanation ready to go. A sharp fan blade at home was the culprit. But when investigators discovered his type O blood all mixed up with her type A blood at the crime scene, he changed his story. He wove an elaborate tale about a bloody nose he had a week before the murder. It's unclear why he would have been in her bedroom with a nosebleed, but that's the story he went with. According to him, he wiped his nose on the same pair of underwear and shorts she just happened to be wearing when she died. Based on where his blood was found at the crime scene, he would have you believe he wiped his bloody nose on the walls and window too. Idaho is one of the rare states that doesn't put much stock in a killer's excuses. According to Idaho statutes, a mental condition is not a defense. Experts testified Rick suffered from intermittent violent behavior disorder. Now, if you're wondering what that is, the Mayo Clinic defines it as sudden episodes of violent behavior in which a person reacts grossly out of proportion to the situation. So, basically, your typical killer. The jury wasn't impressed with the expert's take on his temper. He got the death penalty. 28 years after stabbing Danette Elge, Richard Levitt went to meet his maker. His last meal was baked chicken, fries, and milk. The next day, June 12, 2012, he died from a lethal injection. He had no last words. And that's your recap. Thanks for hanging out with us today. If you like getting all the crime in half the time, go ahead and tap that subscribe button so you never miss a story. But don't go away. Catch up on more recaps right here, right now. Until next time, take care.